Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. G'day and welcome to the latest issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast. A few years ago now, I put together a list of common sense points that may be useful in terms of, say, borrowing to finance a home, along with broader personal finance and investment decisions we make. Given the surge in interest rates lately, I thought it was worth an update. So here they are. Many Australians may know these, but unfortunately, financial literacy is still not taught in schools, or not to any thorough degree, and so many don't. Otherwise, Australians would have far less trouble with their finances. I've deliberately kept the list simple and in many cases this draws on personal experience. Up front I'll just say that I won't tell you to have a budget though because that's like telling you to suck eggs. I think everyone knows that one. Anyway I've got 15 points here and I'll go through them quickly. First one is to shop around. We often shop around to get the best deal when it comes to consumer items, but the same should apply to services we get. It's a highly competitive world out there and service companies want to get and keep your business. So when getting a new service, whether it be for a power contract, phone plan, insurance or mortgage, or who to manage your super, it makes sense to shop around and get the best deal. And it's particularly important, I think, that when it comes time to renew those services and you find that suddenly the annual charge has gone up dramatically, it makes sense, I think, to call the provider and ask, what gives? I've often done this to then be told that they'll give me a better deal on the grounds that I'm a long-term loyal customer. So it always makes sense to question uh, price rises they announce and see if you can get a better deal. In many cases, you can because they don't want you to go to a competitor. Secondly, make sure you don't take on too much debt. Debt is fantastic up to a point. It helps you have today what you would otherwise have to wait until tomorrow for. It enables you to spread the costs associated with long-term assets like a home. Over the years, you get the benefit of it and enables you to enhance your underlying investment returns. But as with everything, you can have too much of a good thing and that includes debt. Someone wise once said it's not what you own that will send you bust but what you owe. So always make sure that you don't take on so much debt that it may force you to sell all your investments or your home just at the wrong time. In fact when you maybe should be adding to your investments after a big price fall. No doubt higher income people can afford to have bigger debt levels than lower income people but a rough rule of thumb is that when your debt servicing costs exceed 30% of your income then maybe you have too much debt. Allow that interest rates go up and down. Of course, we have been given a rather rude reminder that interest rates can go up over the last year. But when things are always going one way for a long time, as interest rates did when they fell from 2011 to 2020, it is easy to forget that the cycle could turn. So when you take on debt, the key is to make sure you can afford higher interest payments at some point. Fortunately, under guidance from the bank regulator called APRA, lenders these days have to allow that you can service your debt when interest rates are an extra three percentage points above the proposed borrowing rate, which is a good precaution. Of course, after 12 rate hikes in quick succession, as we've seen since May last year. That has taken interest rates back to levels last seen in 2012. The odds are that we're now getting close to the top, which should provide some relief as we go through next year. Fourth point is that you should always contact your bank if you are starting to struggle with your mortgage or if you feel that you will start to struggle with your mortgage payments. After the biggest surge in interest rates since the 1980s, it's understandable that many may be worried about servicing their mortgage. In fact, a survey by AMP Bank found that nearly 70% of those with a mortgage are worried about meeting repayments if rates continue to rise, with 31% in fact worried with even current interest rates. Interestingly, 
most of those with small safety buffers had not sought help from their lender. However, homeowners struggling with a mortgage should not be shy in seeking assistance, either to get a lower interest rate or maybe to switch to a different mortgage repayment arrangement, such as an interest-only loan for a period until rate relief is eventually seen. The home mortgage market is highly competitive and it's not in banks' interests to see people default in their loans and nor do they want to see customers go to other banks. Fifth point is to seek advice regarding fixed versus variable rates. Australians have long struggled regarding how best to use fixed rates, often locking in at the top of the rate cycle and then staying variable at the bottom. And of course, they end up wrong-footed. Thankfully, this recent cycle was different, with a record 40% of mortgages locking in record low fixed rates around 2% in 2021. But still, many didn't. Sure, the fixes were only protected for two or three years, but they have done way better than those who stayed variable over the last year. As a general principle, locking in low fixed rates makes sense when the rate cycle has gone down, but staying variable when rates have gone up. Of course, it's still hard to time, e.g., or for example, if you locked in a fixed rate around 4% in 2016 after five years of rate falls, that would have been premature. And there is always a case to maintain some flexibility by keeping a portion of the loan variable to allow for windfalls, like say an inheritance or a big bonus that may enable you to pay down your loan faster. The key on all of this is to seek advice because there's no simple answer in relation to this, but there is a role for fixed rates as well as variable rates. The sixth point is to allow for rainy days. Because the future is uncertain, it always makes sense to have a financial buffer to cover us if things unexpectedly go badly. The rainy day could come as a result of higher interest rates, job loss, or unexpected expenses. This basically means not taking all the debt offered to you by the bank, trying to stay of staying ahead of your payments to build up a buffer and making sure that when you draw down your loan, you can withstand at least a 3% rise in interest rates. A seventh tip is that credit cards are fantastic, but they deserve respect. In fact, I love my credit cards. They provide me with free credit for up to six weeks and they attract points that really mount up. So it makes sense to put as much of my expenses as I can on them. In fact, the value I get in the points exceeds the annual or the regular fee that those credit cards charge to have them. But of course, credit cards can charge usurious interest rates of around 20% if I get a cash advance or don't pay the full balance by the due date. So this is something you really need to be very careful of. So my view is you never ever get a cash advance unless it's an absolute emergency and you always pay down the amount owed by the due date. Sure, the 20% rate sounds like a ripoff, but don't forget that credit card debt is not secured by your house or anything else. And at least the high rate provides extra incentive to pay by the due date. My eighth tip is to use your mortgage for longer term debt. Credit cards are not for long term debt, but your mortgage is. And partly because it's secured by your house, mortgage rates are low compared to other borrowing rates. So if you have any debt that may take longer than the due date on your credit card to pay off, then it should be included as part of your mortgage if you have one. My ninth tip is to start saving and investing early. If you want to build your wealth to get a deposit for a house or save for retirement, the best way to do that is to take advantage of compound interest, where returns build on returns. Obviously, this works best with assets that provide high returns on average over long periods. And of course, here we're talking about growth assets like shares or property. But to make the most of it, you have to start as early as possible, which is why those piggy banks that banks periodically hand out to children have such merit in getting us into the habit of saving early. This, of course, gives me another opportunity to make reference to one of my favorite charts. Of course, I can't put a chart in a podcast, but I can refer to it in a general sense. That chart shows the value of $1 invested in Australian shares, bonds and cash since 1900 with dividends and interest reinvested along the way. Cash is safe, but has low returns. And that $1 over that really long period will have only grown to $249. Sounds impressive, but 
not that great really because shares over that whole period, we all know they're very volatile and they all have rough periods. But if you can look through that, they will grow your wealth. And that $1 will have grown to 787535 if you put it in share markets and of course taken this calculation to the end of June of this year. My 10th point is to plan for asset prices to go through rough patches. It's well known that share markets often go through rough patches. The volatility seen in the share market is the price we pay for higher returns than most other asset classes over the long term. Now, of course, property is also another asset class that provides higher returns over the longer term because it's a growth asset, just like shares. Property prices will always be smoother than share prices. That's because it's not traded and so not as subject to very short-term sentiment swings like shares. But of course, history tells us that home prices do go down as well as up. Japanese property prices fell for almost two decades after their 1980s bubble years. US and some European countries' property values fell sharply in the GFC, and the Australian residential property market has seen several episodes of falls over recent years. Perhaps the biggest being the run over 2017 into 2019, when average property prices across Australia fell 10%, 15% in Sydney. So the key is to allow that asset prices don't always go up even when the population and the economy are growing, but focus on the longer term trend in those asset prices. It's also very important, this brings me to my 11th point, to see big financial events and even corrections in property prices in their longer term context. Hearing, for example, that $70 billion was wiped off this share market in a day or two sounds very scary, but it tells you little about how much the market actually fell. In context, you really need to see it in percentage terms and you have only lost something if you sell out after the fall. Scarier than that $70 billion wiped off over a couple of days, which really just amounts to a couple of percent, was the roughly 35% fall in share markets in February, March 2020 due to the pandemic. And scarier still was that the GFC-related share market falls that saw declines of 50%. But such events happen every so often. And after each event, the market has gone back up and resumed its long-term rising trend. The trick is to allow for periodic sharp falls in your investments. And when they happen, remind yourself that we have seen it all before and that the market will most likely find a base and resume its long-term rising trend. My 12th point is that you should always know your risk tolerance. When embarking on your investing journey, it's worth thinking about how you might respond if you found out that the market movements have just wiped 20% off your investments. If your response is likely to be, I don't like it, but this sometimes happens in markets and history tells me that if I stick to my strategy, I will see a recovery in time, then no problem. But if your response might be, I can't sleep at night because of this, get me out of here, then maybe you should rethink your strategy and opt for a less risky portfolio of investments as you will just end up selling out at the wrong time when the market bottoms and buying at tops. So try and match your investment strategy to your risk tolerance. My third end point, make the most of the bank of mum and dad. Of course, the Australian housing boom that started in the mid-1990s has left housing very very unaffordable for many. This has contributed in many ways to a big wealth transfer from, from millennials to baby boomers and Gen Xs. For millennials and Gen Z, if you can make, if you can, it makes sense to make the most of the bank of mum and dad. There are two ways to do this. First, stay at home with mum and dad as long as you can and use the cheap rent to get a full hold in the property market via a property investment and then use the benefits of being able to deduct your interest costs from your income and reduce your tax bill to pay down your debt as quickly as you can so that you may be able to ultimately buy something you really want. Secondly, consider lending on your parents to help with the deposit. Of course, just don't tell my kids this. 14th point, be wary of what you hear at parties. Back in 2021, Bitcoin was all the rage, but jumping in when it was near 68,000 US dollars a coin at the point when everyone was talking about it, 
back then would not have been wise. Of course, it's now around 30,000 US dollars a coin, but it had a fall to $16,000 along the way. And it's yet truly proved its use value beyond something to speculate in. Often when the crowd is dead set on some investment, it's best to stay away, particularly if you don't understand it. My final point, my final and my final tip is to bear in mind that there is no free lunch. When it comes to borrowing and investing, if something looks too good to be true, whether it's ultra low fees or ultra low interest rates on a loan, or investment products claiming ultra high returns and low risk, then it probably is too good to be true and it's best to stay cautious and stay away. Now, of course, I have focused here mainly on personal finance and investing. Someone's pointed out after I produced my report that one extra tip worth throwing in is that if you do get married, it's often best to try and stay married because divorce is one sure way to reduce your wealth quite substantially. I've also focused on things at a very high level as opposed to drilling down into things like diversification and taking a long-term view to your investments. Of course, we will explore those sorts of things in future podcasts. Until we meet again, I hope this has been of value. Adios. To keep up to date with Dr. Oliver and the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favourite streaming platform.